Good morning. Our next case is uh, Ash County, North Carolina versus Ash County Planning Board and Appalachian Materials LLC. I'll note that Justice Berger is recused on this case, and we'll hear from the appellant. May it please the court, my name is Craig Justice, and I'm with the Van Winkle Law Firm, part of the Buncombe County Bar. I'm here on behalf of the respondent appellant, Appalachian Materials. This court has said on multiple occasion that one of the main purpose of our forming of government is the preservation of property. And property in this state includes the right to use and enjoy your land or land that you have leased. And this right is a natural right. It's inherent in all of our citizens. It's a right that's protected by our Constitution. It is not a right that is dependent upon the government giving you something, giving you permission. It is inherent in all of us. The laws that are at stake in this case are primarily statutory. They are General Statutes 143-755, and General Statutes 160D-108. These laws are an effort of our General Assembly to announce a public policy that would be binding on everyone in the state, including all the local governments, of an effort to protect and preserve property rights. The General Assembly in those statutes has indicated that a property owner would have a right to rely on the development rules in place at the time of an application being submitted for development approval. As we all know, the development road, especially in today's modern world, uh, is a very steep mountain. And that's before you even get into governmental intervention. Uh, property owners and developers have to go through lending requirements, have to procure investors, funding, have to come up with a product that would be satisfactory to consumers. It is a steep slope even without government involvement. <clears throat> the government uh, should, in this case, act as an escalator assisting citizens to get up that hill, uh, not as a treadmill. And in this case, this is a poster child for where the government has, in fact, impaired the ability of property owner, in this case, to be able to develop and use their property. The statutes that are at play here are meant to benefit all citizens, whether they're small businesses or large corporations. We depend a lot on our small businesses uh, for housing, uh, for uh, products that we all use, and in this case, includes asphalt. And invariably, it's a case where folks, once they became aware of an asphalt plant, said, well, we may need asphalt, but we'd like for it to be produced in another county. So what we have here, just starting with the facts, is on June 5th of 2015, my client submitted an application for the only ordinance, local ordinance, that stood in his way to getting to the top of the mountain. And that local ordinance required only, as part of the application process, that a fee be paid. And it's very important to denote this, that point. The ordinance, which is the rule of law at the local level, did not explain a process or procedures for filing an application. It did not mandate any particular form there actually wasn't an application form. It didn't say the application shall contain X, Y, and Z. All the ordinance required is that a fee be paid. The fee was paid contemporaneous with the submittal of the plans, accepted and cashed. The planning board, who is the agency that found the facts in this case, their finding of fact number one was on June 5th, my client applied for a development uh, approval. I want to interrupt you here because we're pretty familiar with the facts and you're, you're getting to something I, I have a question about that so I want to ask you. That, yes sir. Um, when we're talking about because I I think you're getting to this but it seems to me the real heart of the case is, is a statutory construction question about when we say s s the the word submit an application which of the two competing approaches to the Court of Appeals is correct the one that says that just means you submit it. You don't have to ask, like, did you check all the boxes? Or the other approach that says a that means a complete application. And I'm just trying to 
imagine in other scenarios in ordinary usage. And, but the question I have for you first is, do you think the municipality has some obligation to describe, to comply with the statute, what a completed application is or what an application is or anything? Or does the statute itself, do we just take some ordinary meaning from that and it doesn't matter whether different municipalities have different rules about how you submit it, what all has to be included, and so on? I would say because it's a statewide policy and it's meant to be preemptive, of local government saying, no, we want to now impose new regulations. There needs to be a uniform, clear standard applicable to everybody from Murphy to Mania, to Raleigh, to Asheville, to Wilmington. So it's incumbent upon this court to give direction of what it means. We have said that what it means at, uh, at most is that you make a request in writing and you supply information that opens the gate for the local government to then evaluate the, the substance standards they have. That's it. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to give all the information at that time to be permit ready for issuance, or otherwise that language would have been employed. And one of the key points, the arguments we, we point out with, is this statute applies to all permits, whether it's a zoning permit or whether it's a, what's called a, a special use permit. These permits, have various ranges of processes before they get issued, but yet the statute applies to all of them, which means that the gate to get to being vested has to be uniform and apply the same, regardless of what permit we're talking about. The conditional use or special use permit's a great example. We've listed a number of cases that this court has dealt with in that scenario where you don't know you're gonna get a permit until you go through multiple committees, uh, Woodhouse is one case, PHG is another case, you go through multiple levels of committee review, technical review committee, design review committee, planning board, and then ultimately maybe a town council. And all the way you're receiving comment and evaluation. And all the way you should be looking to modify your plans to address comments and to address concerns, to clarify things. And you ultimately are not, you don't get the permit till you go through a hearing and you have uh, traffic engineers show up and appraisers show up and you provide proof at a hearing. It's only then that you get the permit. If somewhere along that long journey, the government can just say moratorium, we're changing the rules, it would defeat the public policy set by our General Assembly. Well, that gets at what, because to me, the, um, the planning director's statement which I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but essentially, um, you know, we've got your application, you know, get in this one final piece of information, but we're going to, you know, we'll definitely be issuing the permit. Is such a useful fact for you if the, uh, if the government has any control over what is the completed application, but I'm, I'm just wondering if the statute itself, if that's sort of self-contained, because I think an argument we're going to hear from your friend is, uh, you know, this application is missing crucial pieces and we would say we submit the application it's got to be one that where you got all your ducks in a row and if you don't have the permit one of the permits that you need you haven't actually submitted the, com the complete application so what yes do we can we look to what the that municipality thinks about whether it's a the application has been submitted to answer the question or is there some statutory rule that we have to use there regardless of what anyone else think? No, I think there's a difference between a procedural rule that can be set by ordinance or a substantive rule that deals with evaluating an application. If you're saying, can the local governments come up with procedural rules? The answer is yes. The first thing they have to do is adopt it for an ordinance. That's, that's the only way it makes it a rule of law, right? We're all subject to the law of our land. We need it to be a law so that a, a planning staff member, intentionally or otherwise, doesn't just say, well, today I'm gonna require X, just because I said so. And so it needs to be in an ordinance. Ash County did not have an ordinance that set procedural requirements for what is an application. If, uh, obviously the local government can't do things to impair the General Assembly's will that an application is the only thing required. So if they said, well, for you to have a complete application, you need to get five permits that have different standards reviewed by different agencies where someone can appeal those permits at any time and it becomes this self-defeating circle of never being vested, that would impair it. So if they said by ordinance, the, you shall submit an application 
the application shall contain, da 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 da, and it will be on such and such form. Every day we go through and we fill out applications. We fill out applications for banks that give us a form for a loan, marriage license, driver license, all kinds of licenses, business license. We fill out a form, we pay a fee. That's what we all understand is the common understanding of an application. So if a local government says, we shall by ordinance say, this application form is the form, and it shall contain a set of plans. For example, if it wants to say, it shall include a site plan that shows the employee's bathrooms, which is what my friend over here suggested we lacked, then the ordinance needs to say that. Because that gate is an objective standard. It's non-discretionary, it shouldn't be subject. If you look at 160D 403, I'm sorry, 402, it lists there as the duties of administrative staff is to determine whether an application is complete. And one of our main points is, it then goes on to say, then the staff evaluates it for the standards and then ultimately decides in a zoning permit case whether they issue the permit. So the step of is the application sufficient enough to begin evaluation is a separate step. It is assigned to administrative staff by 160D402. Because it's assigned to administrative staff, it is a non-discretionary step that must have objective standards set out in an ordinance. Can, can I just, I, I, I want what you're just saying now and answer this question to me sounds different from what you said a minute ago about the intent of the General Assembly and I'm just trying to understand what your position is with regard to how we interpret this state statute. Because you said initially, I thought I heard you say, and so that's why, please correct me if I'm wrong, that, that there should be a universal across the state um, definition of when an application has been submitted. But, but, but and, 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 and then my follow, if that's what you meant, I, my follow-up question would be, where do we get that as an intent of the General Assembly from the statute? But, but what I hear you say now is, you know, each county can set, you know, what they need for a submission, and it, 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 there seems to me to be some logic that certain counties might have different requirements than other counties based on the rural or urban nature, the type of development in their county. You know, there's a, reasons why there's variations across this large state. And so if it's, if it's the second point, that is that the county, and I, I hear you that it needs to be by ordinance, but if the county decides what needs to be submitted so that then you can evaluate whether an application has in fact been submitted, then isn't it possible it would be different in different places? The application form in and of itself may be different, Justice Earl, but this court to say, when it says submit an application, by the plain meaning of that, an application is simply a form. It's a form that's set by ordinance that must be submitted. And, and the importance of vesting is the developer needs to have control over what happens in order to get to that vesting point. That vesting point can't be dependent upon all these subsequent proceedings and you know, at some point you get your permit ready. It needs to be an objective standard that's within the control of the property owner. Because otherwise, local government, intentionally or not, might thwart the will. And so what I'm saying is, if this court simply says an application by its plain language is a form prescribed by ordinance that starts the, is submitted to start the evaluation process, if uh, Ash County wants to have a form that's one page, that's fine. But at the end of the day, it's the property owner can see that form and see what's required. And before they announce, here I am with the potential controversial thing, they will know, here's the form, here's what's required. It's all objective. I might have to spend $100,000 to accomplish submittal of this form. I might have to spend 10000 But at the end of the day, if the local government wants to say the form needs to be five pages, or the form needs to be three pages, and it needs to require X, Y, and Z, again, that what the form contains can be decided at the local level. Again, it must be something prescribed by ordinance. Here, again, the ordinance simply says pay a fee. Um, and ultimately, you know, when the project representative meets with the planner, Mr. Stubb, Stump, and goes over the plans and everything is fine, 
and the planner responds multiple occasions, everything's in compliance, you just need to get this state permit, we'll hold your local permit until you get that. Everything is working perfectly fine until opposition shows up, and you're, this court has faced a number of cases, and most zoning cases are about someone opposed to development. It happens all the time. But at the end of the day, this statute is meant to protect the minority, the developer, the property owner, from a majority of people screaming out saying, these rules are not adequate to protect me. And it's ironic that in Ashe County, these rules had been on the books. If you look at the case they cite from Ashe County, um, uh, there's a triad uh, uh, asphalt company case versus Ashe County. You can see that these rules were on the books for over a decade. And here we go with an, what we believe to be sufficient to start the evaluation process, and then suddenly the population says it's not good enough to protect us, now change them. The statute was meant to address this very kind of case. Our Constitution was set up to protect the property owner in this very case. So um, in terms of the other arguments of why the application um, is what it is, is um, if you look in 160D108A, the General Assembly has said, acknowledged, that to get to a certain point, a property owner is going to have to spend a lot of money and a lot of effort and a lot of sweat equity to get to a certain point. And it's because of that sweat equity and that money that's spent, we're going to protect them so that the rules don't shift after all of those expenditures. It's not when the, the thing is permit ready. If the, if the matter was permit ready, then guess what? The law requires the permit to be issued. And there would be no reason for the General Assembly to acknowledge all the money that's spent in today's modern society to get to a certain point. And right there in 160DB is the permit choice rule that follows all of those objectives to give a certainty to property owners after they have to take the rules fill out the application and spend a lot of money just to submit an application for compliance and for evaluation. Um, and again, the, if the standard was permit ready, you would not have a situation where there would be equal protection under the law. And I say that because if the standard was permit ready, permit ready in a special use context may mean 4,000 hurdles a public hearing, and you never know when something may be issued until you get through this long road uh, of public hearing and opposition and experts and whatever. And quite frankly, if it was permit ready, we cited uh, to a case in Pennsylvania where it seems to me like the case in Pennsylvania, the Lehigh case, was an asphalt case, the zoning board would just simply make a decision, well, you didn't provide us enough information from your traffic engineer we're going to say it's incomplete and just deny you on procedural grounds and not even get to the substance. So my understanding, I want to make sure I understand your argument that in your view, the, the question is not whether there's a completed application in the sense of everything's here, leaving no discretion to do anything but issue a permit, but your view is what has to happen is an application has to be submitted, but that in your view it would be possible for municipalities to have rules, which I think you said likely be an ordinance that says, um, here's what you have to do in order to submit an application. And if you didn't do those things, they could reject it and we wouldn't be here, um, you know, arguing the, um, you know, this sort of thing in a case where you didn't check all the boxes. But your point is that there were no rules like that here. You paid $500, they kept the money. You had everything except the permit that, the, that um, they have no control over. And you have the planning director saying, you know, looks good, we'll, we'll expect to be issuing it, just get that permit. And you're saying, so in this case, your client wins. It's possible, looking at this, that municipalities may say, well, we need to make some more rules. We don't want people rushing in, kind of paying some money and giving us a really incomplete application and then saying we can't make any more changes to our ordinances. So is this, the way I just described it to you, do you think that's a principle that you could agree to? Or, or do you think there's actually that, they shouldn't be monkeying around at the municipal level with what's a completed application. This is fact specific in some way in that the ordinance said what it said and it said pay a fee. 
Okay, and you're right. The planning director's comments to us, to the to county manager, to the newspaper, all before the controversy hit the fan, was everything's fine. We just need the local the state permit to get your local permit. That was all that we needed to be vested under the law. Um, and there's nothing once vested, once you once you filed enough to get the gate open to start the evaluation process, nothing precludes supplementation and modification of plans. This court in Northwestern versus Gaston County informs us that, that you can still be vested with an application submittal even if you modify the, uh, the plan or do something to revise the plan. Or, for example, if you leave out a, a setback on one of the property lines that the uh, planner goes, you left off a setback, that you could go, you're right, let me fix that. Because it's, a, it's part of the give and take. It's part of the being an escalator government of working with them to get you to the goal. And it's normal to have give and take without being kicked out of the line of vesting. It's normal. There, the uh, Woodleaf case is uh, an example of another case about that. So I'm wondering if part, part of your reluctance in that question is a, that the risk that suppose uh, in a case like this, you have some municipality that says uh, you have to get the state permits and federal permits or whatever else might be required. You have to go do all of those things first and then we'll accept your application, try to submit anything before then, we won't even take it. And then they could monitor the filings for the state applications. And when they see, you know, an air quality permit or whatever it might be come in, say, oh boy, there's an application coming quick, change the ordinance. And that could potentially frustrate what it seems to me is the intent of the, legis of the statute. So is that, is that why you're reluctant to say, make whatever rules you want or? Correct, I, I think, uh Having to obtain a permit from another agency is not a procedural thing as much as it is, is maybe a substantive thing. And at the end of the day, there is the Washington case we cited, the West Main case, where the, the city in the West Main case did the, same, did the very same thing that you just said, which is they made an application completeness dependent upon you running out and getting a bunch of permits with its own review processes, potential appeal processes, and it, and it was just a self-defeating prophecy. Uh, like here, the moratorium public hearing was October 5th. October 6th with the public hearing on the DEQ permit. So they were lining up their public hearings to stop this project with the DEQ's uh, uh, public hearing. So yes, I'm concerned about that, that some local government might do that. And I, I do believe that would be impairing the will of the General Assembly if they did do that. Because the local standard shouldn't matter about well, what does the state say about the standards that they're following before we would speak? And you're gonna get into a catch-22 where a lot of state permits are dependent upon local permits. An outdoor advertising permit is dependent upon the local permit. Uh, mining permits, a quarry permits, air quality permits are dependent upon a local government giving a determination of compliance. So. We might get into a, a, a never-ending wheel of never being vested situation. I am concerned about that. But I think at the end of the day, if this court says, look, if you have your local standards that you want to come up with and you want to come up with an application that says you need to submit X, Y, and Z, not that it's permit ready, but that it gives us a chance to start the evaluation, then that should be the standard. Obviously, the, the General Assembly has thought 160D402 that the completeness determination made by zoning staff is going to occur at the beginning of the process, and it has to be objective. That means they should be communicating to the applicant. You said, does the, I think you asked the question, does a planner have a duty, a responsibility? To, I say yes. Uh, we cited to a Pennsylvania case in, on a, a memorandum of additional authorities, case on point where the planner went silent and allowed the rules to change and didn't tell the applicant, oh, your application may have some bugs in it. And the court there says there's a responsibility to have that conversation and give them the opportunity to fix whatever deficiency you might think exists in the application. Again, government should be an escalator, not a treadmill. 
I just want to make sure I understand your view of the significance of our prior decision in this case, where we said the this uh, June 22nd, 2015 letter um, was where the planning director said, everything's complete, you just need um, the final uh, approval permit from the state. We said there that letter is not entitled to preclusive effect. Isn't, isn't the, st the strongest, or isn't where we are now, <laughs> looking at what the planning board decided and whether there was sufficient fact, because the planning board ultimately concluded that the permit was sufficiently complete. Am I wrong about that? You are excellently right about that. That is, it is, and my friend here talks about, well, let's focus on what the planning director had. Well, well, let's look at the emails of the planning director to see what really he had. But at the end of the day, what did the planning board have? Because the planning board was the de novo body, evidentiary hearing, to say, should the permit be issued? And so the facts were presented and they made the facts, the facts were undisputed in this case, and they drew a conclusion, Justice Earl, to your point, that the, um, the vesting laws triggered because there was sufficient information at the, at the June application to review the, the application for compliance, which the planner did. And so while that letter may not be conclusive, it is a bit of evidence, right, still evidence, that they knew that they had enough information to evaluate that this later enacted, oh, we don't have a site plan, we don't have all these things. The planner never said that. The planner had plenty of information to evaluate. And guess what? Again, the ordinance didn't say you must do X, Y, and Z. So shame on Ash County for not saying you must have X, Y, and Z. And that's okay they didn't say that. But at the end of the day, to now say you had to have a site plan that showed the employee bathrooms, that's, that's the problem, and that's why we need this court to protect these rights that my client had and to, in fact, protect what the General Assembly said, this is the public policy that applies to all of the state. Am I correct in thinking that you would, uh, you would say, number one, you say that the, the ordinance, the PID ordinance, didn't require the submission of the state permit along with the application, but number two, even if it did require that, you would say that's beyond what you can require merely to submit an application. I would say in that context that would run afoul of, of an application that's within the control of the applicant to say you must run a marathon and that everybody will know that you exist before you come in here and get this permit. 160D403 says, Local government permits can be issued subject to the condition of getting all state and local permits. That's what it says. And, that's, and so you shouldn't set up an ordinance that will uh, defeat the ability to vest. Did Thankfully, intend, we don't have that Did you intend case. to leave some rebuttal time? Yes, sir, I do. I will stop. Thank you very much. Thank you, counsel. We'll hear from the FLA. Justice Newby and Associate Justices, I'm John Cook. Along with Mr. Curtis, I represent Ash County. For now, nearly, well, actually over seven years, the duly elected representatives of the people of Ash County have been contending that the trial court ordering the county to issue a permit in this case was error. Context matters. Ash County is a rural mountain county. It has no zoning. It has very few regulations. It has a planning department of two people, one of whom is an inspector. Its planning board with little regulations has little to do and no or little experience in appeals. The view of the commissioners is at the close of the hearing, after the county had afforded every opportunity to this, to this applicant to complete its application, it didn't meet the standards of the ordinance. The ordinance 
is very simple. It's plain purpose. It's plain requirement is that you, if you want to have a polluting industry, you are to design your polluting industry and show that design such that it has a protective buffer of a thousand feet from all dwellings and commercial buildings. If you look at the record of the hearing, their own exhibits, record page 937, is the statement from the planning director as a suggestion. Submit a site plan showing the development. This is in June of 2015. They submit in their exhibits their watershed application, which he said, I think you should have a site plan. It does not contain the site plan showing the development. Secondly, can, can you comment on uh, when is an application submitted? Yes, Your Honor. And what's important is to look at the language of our General Assembly on that and not somebody's theories. If you look at what the Court of Appeals did in this case, they, they, they carefully hewed their decision to your remand. And the issue before them was the argument that was made that a moratorium was a change in the development standard. That was the issue. And they only had to look at one sentence. That's the moratorium sentence. And if you look at the moratorium sentence, answers your honor's question, and that's why I'm getting there. Your honor gives me a second. It says, notwithstanding the foregoing, Sorry, what statute are you? That, that statute is 160, 160D 108. <coughs> and that statute says, if I can find it in my notes, <laughs> notwithstanding the foregoing, if a complete application, this is the language of our General Assembly, for development approval has been submitted prior to the effective date of the moratorium. 160D-108B applies when permit processing resumes. Answers two questions. When you raise the question that was raised in this case, the General Assembly has squarely said it must be complete. It also says because it must be complete, the permit processing has already begun. Not application processing, our General Assembly said permit processing. Because our General Assembly adopts moratoriums too. They understand the big delay between when they start that process and when it's actually adopted. And they're trying to cut out speculators and placeholders. So, so the, the, the statute, statutory provision that you just quoted though, if you had a scenario where a developer comes in and pays the filing fee and submits an application because they've looked at an ordinance, the current ordinance said, I'm entitled to a permit. And then as soon as they file it, they don't have their uh, state, let's say air quality permits yet, but uh, they've gone ahead and filed with the municipality. And then the municipality changes the ordinance in the way that, the, that they can no longer uh, get permission to, um, for the development based on their application. So we have a statute that says, we'll let you, the developer, choose between the two. In that scenario, uh, if there's no moratorium involved, does the provision that you just cited apply? No. But, and isn't your argument your friend is making that that's the provisions that we should be using and not the one that you just quoted? So I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I, I, I apologize. Prash County, this is a case about the discrete facts in this case and not other matters. If there was no moratorium, and if the government had changed the regulations, these are the two requirements, then you would turn to 143.755, which the Court of Appeals did not need to do in this case. That's my point. They did what you asked them to do. But if you do, in that statute, our General Assembly has said the 
buildings, improvements, and land shown in the application. It's got nothing to do with process. Process is not relevant here. That's what they said, and let me say why, if I might. The General Assembly has a 360-degree view of all property interests, not just applicants. If you file an application and you show the land, the improvements and structures you want the government to approve, and they change the rules on you, that's unfair. But if you file an application that doesn't show the land, buildings, and improvements, and structures that you want them to approve, none of the people around you have any clue what's going to happen. And that's unfair. Because they can wait six months before they ever even respond to the government under that statute. Everybody's property rights count. Despite their argument on page 80 that permit choice is to create a protected class of developers. That is not correct. The General Assembly particularly put that in there. You have to identify the permit, and you have to identify the land, the structures, and I think it's buildings, structures, and land, I think is the exact language. And that makes it concrete and definite because everybody knows what's going on. And again, if you turn to Northwestern, I did a word search of Northwestern. Court used the word plan or plans 90 times. There was a plan that was submitted. That's whole, the whole thing about Northwestern. It was a, uh, a, 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 a mobile home subdivision. They divided lots. They had roads. They had a plan for water and sewer. You have none of that here. And the Court of Appeals correctly understood the specific provision in this ordinance that says don't start permit processing until the state issues a permit, federal. Because with polluting industries, unlike residential and other uses, you can't have a polluting industry anywhere without a state permit. So it's a matter of a small staff making sure they don't get ahead of what the state determinations are. And in this case, specifically, until the DEQ inaccurate permit was submitted to the county. Nothing had been located on the ground in Ash County. And furthermore, to, to be clear about this point, when the planning director receives an incomplete application, there's no requirement in Ash County that you file a complete application. You can file anything to the incomplete application. But what is expected in a rural county is that you work with people. And so he did work with people. He worked with them. He tried to make suggestions the whole time. He told them over and over again, your application is not complete. Told them that in August before the moratorium was adopted. He told them again in September. And then they changed the whole dynamics. They brought the lawyer in February 29, 2016. Write that date down. That was an aggressive letter to a, a staff person with little or no discretion. It says, by the way, that friendly letter you wrote, you bound the county. You must issue the permit. They never said that to him when he was writing that letter. And by the way, permit choice is you can't change the rules on me. And if you don't, send, you don't issue my permit immediately, I'm going to sue the county. The General Assembly says in 108 they want to foster cooperation. If you, if you encourage that, you won't have cooperation because cooperation is dissolved. Well, you know well, what the first call of the planning director is? County attorney. <laughs> what am I going to do? And so everything gets slowed, and then the litigation picks up, and then they take two days of the planning director's deposition in the litigation. What about, Judge, the, what about the point made by Judge Dillon uh, in his dissent that um, unlike the moratorium statute, which uses the phrase complete application, 
the, the, the word complete isn't in the, the choice of ordinance provision. Um, obviously, the General Assembly could have put the word complete in there, but it didn't. Why shouldn't we regard that as significant? Well, I think it's significant because they did use the word complete. And I think it's significant because they use the following language of permit processing in the same sentence to signal that the permit application must be complete, ready to make final determination to issue a permit. That's the sentence there. They didn't have to put complete in 143.755 because it wasn't in the context of a moratorium. And secondly, because they had the language of buildings, st structures, and, um, and, and land that's devoted to the, to the permit uh, that you're seeking. And so the Court of Appeals really didn't even have to get to 143.755, but if, and they want to expand it. But again, keep in mind, they got the benefit of permit choice in this case. The ordinance that was applied by the planning director and by the planning board was the ordinance that was adopted. This is all a hypothetical question. I don't know how you're going to change how, how that matters in this case, other than their new argument that if they're wrong, then, then the planning board erred and should apply the new ordinance, and they couldn't meet that either. Our point is a much simpler one. They had a full hearing. They asked the planning director days and days of questions. And they came in and their own exhibits show they don't have any design of components that are of the, the, of the polluting industry that, are with, that, that, that shows that there is a thousand foot buffer. And so nobody knows. And furthermore, the fact that that floating blob, which they call plant site limits, which is a term that doesn't exist in the ordinance, testimony was, and they admitted, that their polluting industry road, which is not within the blob, is scaled off to be within a thousand feet of a residence. So at the end of the close of the hearing, back to Justice Searle's point, it's a legal question. Does this application, which has never been amended to correct any of the inaccuracies either, does it satisfy the ordinance? And from the commissioner's perspective, the plain purpose of this ordinance was for you to design your polluting industry and show the design to the county and to the people of Ash County that verifies that they in fact have a thousand foot buffer from all dwellings and uh, commercial buildings. I'd like to turn to that question of commercial buildings if I, if I might. Again, context matters. If you look at the ordinance, I think it starts in maybe 2038. The commissioners have narrowed the scope of this ordinance to a very precise part of the county. It does not apply to the incorporated areas. It does not apply to the ETJ areas. This is a rural county. The ordinance only applies to the ruralist part of this rural county. And the ruralist part of this rural county's draw for citizens is a quiet and peaceful living environment. Hence, the reason for this ordinance. And when you look at the buildings, the commercial buildings, the barn and the way station, I would submit to you, they look just like all kinds of buildings in rural North Carolina across our state. This whole notion that they don't look good, or they're not this, or they're not that. That is not what the commissioners intended. The whole argument 
that a barn, an agricultural barn, is not protected by this ordinance would mean that the vast area of the area of the or of the uh, that the commissioners intended to be protected would no longer be protected. But they use you see the, the thing, particularly for the residents of a county like yours, to, to think of barns and you know these agricultural operations as being locations of commercial activity just seems odd. It's not how ordinary people would describe a farming operation. Well, I think so you can see the tension there, right? That that's not really what the ordinary meaning of I, that I'm, word means. Respectfully, I don't, but I will, I will try to address it, and that, and that is this. We who live in urban areas kind of forget how things are in the rural areas. If you have an agricultural operation, nobody thinks that's just a advocation, a hobby. They think that's a commercial enterprise. And so the commissioners picked and intentionally did not define to limit commercial buildings. They picked the most general term in the world that they could find because their goal was not to draw a distinction between citizens who might work in what some people might think are a commercial enterprise and other commercial enterprises. They kept it very general. And we cite some old cases that- I guess that what I was getting at is that to me that the farmers would think of themselves as producers and that the commercial activity would happen when they take their, their what they produce to market. That, that's where the commerce would happen and they wouldn't think of their own farm as being a place where the commerce is happening. That's where they're producing the thing that will go into that stream of commerce. If, if this was a zoning ordinance, Your Honor, would be spot on with that. But the purpose of this ordinance is to protect citizens where they regularly live and work and does not draw dis those kinds of distinctions. So people are working in the barn and that is in the testimony in this, and undisputed. So. The only way to have it uniform, I, we cite an old case uh, of involving a, a, a stable where the stable owner said, well, my house is within the, the protective buffer and it can't apply. And the court said, it has to be uniform. You can't draw that distinction. I can't draw the distinction between somebody who works in a commercial enterprise that has customers coming to it versus people who, who work in enterprise and don't have customers coming to it. That, that, that is not what the... Why shouldn't we allow the local planning board to define these terms that are not otherwise defined until such time as there's an ordinance to define those terms? I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear your, your question, Your Honor. Why shouldn't we allow the local planning board to define these terms until such time as there may be an ordinance to give more specificity. In other words, you have a, a group of local folks who have been tasked to apply uh, these ordinances, and why shouldn't we rely on the planning board to do that? Thank you. That's a great segue for, to answer your question and another point. Uh, the legal standard here for the planning board Page 135 of their brief they cited is in Ray Ray construction where this court said the planning board has no authority to amend the ordinance. It has no authority to allow a use that's not per permitted by the ordinance. So they answer your question. They can't amend the ordinance. No, they can't but, define but, it. But well, there's a difference between giving meaning to an ambiguous term. We have to do that all the time versus amending. Uh, where obviously you will see uh, uh, different views about, well, are you amending this or are, is this truly ambiguous? Uh, why is not the local planning board the proper group to give definition to ambiguous terms? Well, under 160D-1402, which is the view, review statute, that's an issue of law and is decided de novo by the court. So your honor is absolutely correct. 
the first question is whether this is ambiguous. The county takes position it's not, that their intent was clear and obvious. But if it is ambiguous, then it needs to be uh, interpreted as a remedial statute, and it needs to be interpreted to provide for the free use of land, the free use of land being those citizens who are already invested with a dwelling and with a commercial building. So I believe it's a de novo review for your honor, um, and there's no deference to them under the statute. So, so what is our standard of review of the <coughs> planning board's decision? Well, and as your honor knows, when we, we, we kind of had this discussion in 2020, um, all the issues in this case are de novo review because they're issues of law. And so the issues that were remaining to the Court of Appeals were issues of law subject to the court's de novo review. So if the planning board says we think the application is complete and we think that it is in compliance, why isn't our standard of review to ask whether we do whole record review to say is there any evidence in the record that supports what the planning board did? Because the standard of review when it is de novo is not whole record. What, what makes it, so, so your position is there's absolutely zero fact finding that the planning board does? No. The statute's very clear as their limited authority. The statute says they have the authority to find contested facts, nothing more. They have the authority of the planning director. They're sitting just like him. At the end of the hearing, the question is, in terms of a permit processing, does this application show that the possible polluting industry has been designed such that there's a thousand foot protective buffer between dwellings and residents, between dwellings and commercial buildings. And at the end of the hearing, nothing had changed. The only thing that changed was a different DEQ permit. There was nothing that showed the components of the polluting industry. The blob had not been surveyed, had not been located on ground. The ordinance requires actual measurements. There were no actual measurements. Can I take you back to something you said in answer to the Chief Justice? Did I hear you say, if there is an ambiguity in something like the word commercial, that your view is the principle that we must construe that ambiguity um, in favor of the free use of property would mean that we would have to construe it in a way that would preclude the development here of the asphalt plant because it would somehow encumber the barn or the mobile shed or the quarry, the, the other, the, is that what you said? Yeah, my, uh, my argument is, is that there are all sorts of property rights in this matter. And if you, if it's, this is but not if that like, was ambiguous. it's not like a zoo, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I apologize, I keep. No, I, I'm just trying to understand, if we, if we said it was ambiguous, and we said who's being impacted by the ambiguity right now, it's the, the applicant for this current permit, and, and nothing about our ruling here would limit in any way the owner of the barn or the shed, the quarry, although I think that's actually a party in this case, but that, that would in any way limit how you might develop those properties. So there's, there's nothing, the, the only person whose property rights are being impacted directly here is the party who can't do with their property what they want in this case, right? Um, well, that wouldn't be true if their polluting uh, industry is within a thousand feet of somebody's house or commercial building, then their rights would be Im impacted. This is different than zoning where there's a comprehensive plan and you're not really looking at what is happening on other people's property. The whole purpose of this ordinance is to direct the attention of the polluting industry uh, proposal, which by the way, any reputable polluting industry is gonna have a site plan and they're gonna be happy to share it. That's, that's, that's Robbins, that's S.T. Wooten, 
that's how it's done. But here, we're not following a comprehensive plan, and we don't have a dizzying array of different regulations. They are all confusing. This has the simplest and plainest purpose, and that is if you propose a polluting industry, it is your responsibility to be able to get a permit to show that you've designed it so that there is a thousand foot buffer between existing dwellings and, uh, and, and commercial buildings. And if you don't, then you, you're not entitled to permit. And it's, it's really that simple. And because we are protecting specific already made investment back interest and expectations, I think, I think if you're going to apply that principle, it should be applied in such a way as either it's neutral, rep recognizing that they have interest, or favorable to them since they had already made those investments. <coughs> and that's where they live and where they work. Before you run out of time, can you comment uh on this court said the parties remain free to argue any legal significance of the letter uh, from um, the county official. Uh, what is the significance, if any, of that letter that seemed to say, well, uh, what you're proposing is approved uh, once you get the final permit? If the letter has legal significance, it says, without objection, your application's on hold. You don't put an application on hold unless it's incomplete. It also says, survey attached to permit. There's been no actual survey or actual measurements submitted to the county seven years later. So the only reason it was removed from being on hold is because in February 29, 2016, the applicant's lawyer was interjected who says, I'm entitled to a permit right now in face of the moratorium. And that litigation strategy was successful and it forced the county to apply the only ordinance that existed the Polluting Industries Development Ordinance. And it still didn't meet that standard. Therefore, we believe that the Court of Appeals should be affirmed. We rest on our arguments about misrepresentations in the brief, uh, in, the, in the application and our, our brief, since I've got 42 seconds left, um, to, to make that argument. But what the what the county would ask you to do is to affirm the Court of Appeals. They carefully followed the issues that you laid out for them. They reasoned them carefully. They made the correct decision under the concrete, discrete facts of this case and under the very simple ordinance that the county commissioners adopted to protect their citizens where they work and where they live in this most rural area of a very rural county. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Council. Rebuttal. The free use of land principle that this court is well understands was turned on its head. It is to protect property owners in developing their property when there's ambiguities, not to protect some rural person far away or whatever. It's to protect the free use of land of the permanent applicant developer in this case. And ironically- Your opposing counsel indicated that we don't need to construe the permit choice statute, statute because you got your choice of ordinance here. Uh, if I understood him correctly, how do you respond to that? One of the reasons for the permit denial was a, a reference to the fact that our, our plans weren't sufficient to trigger the permit choice rules. And then that was dealt with by the planning board. So I, I'll be honest with you, there's been a lot of noise and a lot of uh, uh, things that our 
confounding in this case. That argument is one of them. It was a permit denial reason. The planning board said, yes, sufficient to trigger the permit choice rules. Uh, if you look in their petition uh, for writ of cert, they actually say the uh, heavier statute that we, our ordinance we adopted is the one that's applicable. So that's what they said in their uh, writ, uh, petition for writ of cert. Uh, so this idea that the uh, moratorium statute is somehow controlling, uh, to your point, Justice Allen, the, the permit choice rules don't mention the moratorium statute and actually repeatedly talk about this give and take and evaluation process after an application is submitted. All of that would be defeated somehow if the moratorium statute had primacy. You, you have to read those statutes harmoniously. If you look at the moratorium statute, just in the very language that's used, the General Assembly recognizes that an application is different than evaluation or permit issuance. With a special use permit, they say uh, to, be, to be vested, to, to avoid the consequences of uh, the temporary moratorium denying uh, uh, development approval, you just have to get a, uh, an application that's accepted as complete. Uh, as we said earlier, a planning director as part of 160D402 is to determine that an application is complete before they start evaluation. The fact that a complete is used in this last sentence is not creating a new standard. It's just simply saying you've got to turn in an application that, that is sufficient. Uh, it's not creating some new standard. Um, it just means you have to turn in an application that is sufficient, but it doesn't mean that it has to be permit ready because otherwise it would have talked up here about special use permit being issued, not application, because we all know that there's then months and months ahead of that permit applicant to get to a permit issuance ready stage. Um, there are a number of arguments they make that were not part of the permit denial, not part of the planning board decision making, and not part of the Court of Appeals decision. That includes the site plan argument that you heard, that includes the access road argument that you've heard. Northwestern is the case, I believe, that's closest on point in this uh, that you all have decided in the past. Thank, thank, thank you, counsel. I believe your time's expired. Thank you. Thank you both.